because this is what happens to these kids. They take on this trans identity. Not only are they self-loathing, because that's what a transgender kid is. It's somebody who hates themselves and everyone else in the world, except the good parents, are saying, that's right, you are wrong. Everything is wrong with you. You need to be fixed. Imagine what that does to the psyche of that child. They walk around day after day thinking they are wrong. Hey, Joyful Warriors, Tiffany Justice here with Moms for Liberty. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to have a discussion about gender ideology in America and how it is affecting our children. I have with me four moms of children who have been sucked into this horrible rabbit hole of destruction for kids and their psyche and their life and have had to struggle with helping save their child um, from gender ideology. They were introduced to gender ideology in different ways, and these moms will talk to you about that today. I hope you learn a lot from them, and and we'll welcome them now. Uh, First, uh, we have Josie, uh, Lydia, Roxana, and Erin Friday, who you moms know uh, pretty well. You've either met her or talked to her or seen her advocating for her kids. Josie uh, has started a a Substack called Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans. And and there is now also a book that Josie has put together of the stories of parents whose children are being affected by gender ideology. Um, The children of the moms that join us today are in different stages. Some have detransitioned. Some are still in the thick of of being um, uh, of this cult uh, that we've seen, this contagion that we've seen sweep the nation. And uh, so they're going to share with us today. They're incredibly brave. And thank you, ladies, for joining me. Uh, Josie, we'll start with you. Talk to us a little bit about um, your substack, Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans, Pit Parents. Um, why did you start it? And, and, and tell us a little bit about you and your life. Um, hi, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. Um, I just want to introduce um, there are four of us parents um, whose children have gone down the rabbit hole of gender confusion during adolescence. Uh, Two of us have sons, two of us have daughters. Um, We are all skeptical of the gender-affirming care and the need to medicalize a feeling. We were all blindsided by this news from our children. Since none of our children had gender confusion as children, we all did the research and we all came to the same conclusion. We didn't believe our children are or were transgender. There is also a lack of evidence to support transitioning kids, and there are are only very weak studies to prove puberty blockers and hormones should be given to anyone. Our kids are all brilliant. Some have suffered with anxiety, depression, or on the autism spectrum. I have a uh, 19-year-old son who um, thought that he was transgender at the age of 15, He has recently um, rejoined our family after 14 months of estrangement. And he has come to the, he did not transition while he was gone. He realized he wasn't trans after being on his own and having a little bit of real life happen to him. And he's grateful for, to be back home. He's grateful for what he had. And we're 
more than thrilled that he's back. Um, he's kind of his old self before this all happened. And um, I'm looking forward to rebuilding our lives together. Um, as far as my Substack, we started hoping, writing in 2021 with the hope of just getting our stories out. We just thought that if if people if we could reach people, they would understand what was going on. So I started this Substack with another mom uh, to publish our stories. Um, it's called Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans or PIT. The link is pit.substack.com. We had no expectation at the time what would happen with this, and but it sort of caught on, and we realized there was an obvious need. We wrote our own stories, and then we also wrote stories trying to help other parents, trying to navigate um, what was going on. And we asked other parents we knew, please write your story, and they did, and we published that. We started with two essays a week, and people just started sending us their essays and we had to move to five essays a week that we publish. And we, I get, I get them all the time. Um, I have six weeks of essays ready to be published and we have now published over 550 parent stories. Um, our Substack has over almost 12,000 subscribers and um, we reach parents all over the world. We're in 90 countries. We're in every state who read our Substack. And um, last August, we published a book with 75 um, stories, a compilation of um, parent stories. And it's called Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans, Tales from the Homefront and the Fight to Save Our Kids. And it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Wonderful. Well, first of all, let me say that um, I'm so happy to hear that your son has joined you back at home and that he is feeling healthy and well. That's wonderful news. So uh, very happy for you and your family. Um, 15, I think we're going to hear some other ages. I, I know that Lydia mentioned 15 as well. That's an interesting age. Um, Josie, from your experience, give us a, a little bit of a, um, an overview of the age range uh, of many of the children, of the, the, the parents that are writing to you, um, some of the similarities, as you said, you talked about anxiety, depression, autism. We know um, that there are often other issues that children are dealing with, and gender confusion seems to come in as this um, you know, solution to everything, um, truly a snake oil, but, you know, given as this solution, well, maybe you, maybe you were born in the wrong body then, right? And so it, we know that, that it's oftentimes masking other things. And so give us a little insight into to some of the stories that you've heard from parents, and then we'll hear from, from Lydia and Roxana and Aaron as well. Well, I think when my son started, I think it, the kids were around 14 and 15, but now we're hearing kids as young as 11 and 12 deciding, like, because it's been, um, the middle schools are, are pushing this. And even the elementary schools where I hadn't heard of it in elementary and I hadn't heard of it in middle school. But then I did hear it once my son was in high school. So I think it's just, it's spreading. And um, we, we realize, we know it's a social contagion. The, a lot of the parent stories are very similar. You know, you hear, you hear parents saying, 
wait, I, I, I could have wrote that. Oh, wait, that's my story too. Or wait, did I write that? I mean, and these are parents from all over the world who have the, the kids saying the exact same things to them. So they're obviously socially influenced, you know, from the internet or at, from peers at school. And for some reason, you know, even teachers, they've just jumped on the bandwagon that they're doing good by socially transitioning and keeping secrets from parents. And, you know, we've all gone through this and it's just horrific what's happened. So for listeners, you know, I've had January Littlejohn on a friend of of ours at Moms for Liberty, a personal friend of mine. Her daughter uh, was socially transitioned at school um, without her consent or knowledge. Six pages of forms filled out uh, in, in middle school by a child who um, the school knew was struggling with a couple different things, but still went behind the mom's back. And so the betrayal, the audacity that you have people in schools that think that they know better than you for your child is just outrageous. We know this. And so I, I have to say to all of you, you know, I had no idea uh, about this issue uh, when we when we were first starting Moms for Liberty, how pervasive it was. We were seeing some of the guides in the schools, and I was on school board at the time. We knew that there was direction being given regarding this issue, but just the extent, how many families this is affecting, how many children this is affecting has been mind-blowing to me. So Roxana, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and your child's story? Hi, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. I am one of the mothers of a middle school uh, student. So my daughter was 11 when she uh, uh, pronounced herself that she is a boy. Uh, I have to admit that at the time I didn't even pay attention. You know, she wanted to be also a vampire on Tuesdays. So the fact that she wants to be a boy didn't trigger any sorts of alarm, you know, in my head. It all came to an explosion of events about one year and a half later after the COVID lockdown uh, ended, uh, when uh, we ended up in a mental health institution with a meltdown, with a crisis, exactly because she was transitioned the school behind my back. I didn't know that. I didn't know even that that's a thing, you know, that this is at all possible. And uh, uh, yeah, I was told by the health practitioners, at the, uh, by, by basically by the medical staff at the, at the hospital that, oh, your daughter is actually a boy and you have to go to a gender clinic straight away or otherwise, you know, she might commit suicide. That was, I think, the moment when I basically Im- was immersed, you know, in all of this. I, I couldn't believe how, how crazy it all sounds. I guess probably because it was so insane, you know, the whole story that I was told, I didn't buy it straight away. You know, it was not even a slight chance in, in my head that this is true, that she might be born in the wrong body, just is too religious and it's too preposterous, you know, to, to, to buy as a diagnosis that uh, helped me, you know, go through this, uh, uh, this, the whole story. But I was really amazed on how much support from outside this idea has. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it, you know, to be honest. 
So you you go to this mental health institution. Your daughter is, is obviously in crisis and you're going for help with your daughter. You brought your daughter here. They tell you then that your daughter is a, really a boy, not a girl. You need to go to a gender affirming care clinic um, and, and, and or else she'll kill herself, which we know. Do you, you know this idea? Do you want a, a dead son or a live daughter or vice versa? This lie that parents are told is absolutely horrific. Um, and and you, you're saying it was so crazy you didn't believe it. What was their reaction? So did you tell them um, that you that this wasn't going to happen? And then what did that look like for you and, and your daughter in that moment? You know, uh, in most of the cases, I'm, uh, my reaction would be to be very, you know, honest. You know, I'm very uh, hot-headed, you know, and I can say, you know, different things. But in this particular case, I don't know, something, something hold me when I didn't quite tell them what I think about this whole ideology, my line of defense was, you're prescribing a lot of medication. This is a medical issue. I am really against medicalizing my children. I'm really afraid of any drugs. You know, I'm coming from Eastern Europe. We're still using herbs over there. You know, we're not using pills. And uh, uh, my focus was to get her out of the clinic and uh, with her, I was ready to run away from U.S. as far as I can. Uh, unfortunately, her dad, my, my ex-husband, was quite supportive of this transition, which was uh, a very un- shocking surprise for me. So we had to uh, weather this event here in the U.S., in, in California, like in the most woke part of the California, I might say. Um, so uh, that's one advice, you know, that I would say, uh, to all the parents that go through this to just focus on the medical part of this issue and really scrutinize all the drugs that are being prescribed to children, no matter, you know, if this is for gender transition or if this is for a mental health issue in most of the cases, you know, these are really powerful psychotic uh, uh, medicines and they can magnify the issues that your children are having, having instead of ameliorating them. And that's been um, such an but issue. yeah, you need to be very careful. This has been yeah. such an issue, I think. And and, and Lydia, we'll, we'll come to you next. And I know, Aaron, you'll probably touch on this, but this has been such an issue because you have the medical associations uh, across the United States and hospitals and people really supporting all of this. And and so, you know, Roxana, you are saying just in inherently you had this feeling and knew this wasn't what you wanted to do with your daughter and you you, you know you, you're skeptical of medicine but you know i know there are probably parents listening here you know you you listen to doctors right that's what we've done for a very long time and is take the advice of the so-called experts but the experts are failing our children now so lydia you have a, a son um who is, is still battling a bit with uh this issue of gender confusion can you tell us a little bit about him and your story Sure. So um, thanks for having me. I have, uh, he's 18 now, but this started when the pandemic, the pandemic lockdowns were happening in, uh, when was it? Seems so recent, so far ago, 2020, 21, he was 15. And we had noticed, my husband and I had noticed he was getting very withdrawn. He was getting very angry. And we thought, well, of course he is. He's 15 years old and the entire country has gone crazy. 
and everything's been locked down. Of course, he's going crazy. So we were kind of keeping an eye on things. We were trying really hard to reach out, but it was very difficult for all of us to be locked up together in our home. So I have two daughters as well, um, one older and one quite a bit younger. And so all of a sudden, one day he said he needed to talk to me and he said, I need you to know I'm really a girl. Um, and I've always trans and I was just absolutely floored. Like there was nowhere in my wildest dreams that I would have thought this was an issue. And I am in education. I'm a teacher. This was on my radar in terms of seeing what was going on and just being really confused. I had seen it kind of starting up in my school around 2012 and I thought it was odd but I also didn't really understand it. So I was just trying to be a good teacher, be supportive. Names and pronouns were not a thing when I started noticing it. Um, and then when he came out with this, I thought, what the heck is going on? So I started researching and I researched and I researched and I researched. And he immediately, after telling us, wanted to change a name. He had made up a name. He wanted to go by a new name. He wanted us to call her a girl, him a girl. Um, he demanded hormones. He demanded to go to the gender clinic. He wanted a whole new wardrobe. He wanted to get his ears pierced, all this stuff. And, and my husband and I were just so confused. And we said we needed to time to think. We needed to understand. This didn't make any sense to us. So about three months after his announcement, and we were just trying to survive through the pandemic and figure out what the heck was wrong with him, we got a knock on our door. It, at 1.30 in the morning, and it was the police. And he had threatened to hurt himself online. He had taken pictures of himself self-injuring. Um, he had posted it. The police were notified. They came to our house, and they took him away and, and put him into the Children's Psychiatric Hospital. And that's when we understood how bad it really was. Because once he was in the psychiatric hospital, I'm in New Mexico, and we did not understand. We knew it was bad in California. We did not understand how bad it was in New Mexico until he was put into the children's hospital. It is worse in New Mexico in some ways than in California. We were terrified that he wasn't going to be released until we had agreed to affirm him and take him to the gender clinic. The person who had seen him at first in the psychiatric facility was a really great outside psychiatrist. But after the first night, he was immediately transferred to a trans-identified female psychiatrist who had run the gender clinic here. We were then pressured, and pressure is an understatement. The amount of pushing to get him immediately affirmed, medicalized, etc. Now, the part that's different for us is that my son has a heart condition, which is hormone dependent. He's been seeing a cardiologist from the day he was born. It's a genetic family condition. We were able to get him out of the hospital without medicalizing him because I was able to refer the gender people to the proof that taking estrogen and testosterone suppressors would kill my son. They were shocked. They had never heard of this condition. It's not an uncommon condition. I'm not going to share which one it is for privacy's sake, but it's not uncommon. They had never heard of it. They were unaware that it was hormone dependent. And they said we would need to follow up with our cardiologist. Well, that seems like a good idea. Our son was angry. Um, he had been self-harming. After we got him out of the hospital, we discovered that 
over 25% of his friend group at school um, and were identifying as trans. Uh, so that was 30 kids that he was at school and his grade were identifying as trans. Um, we took him to our family doctor who was horrified at what had happened until he went and got reeducated at the gender clinic. And then suddenly we were bad and he was going to have to refer us to CPS again. We took him to our cardiologist who assured us that she would be able to support him going through the estrogen treatments. What would happen is she would implant a pacemaker into our 15 year old child so that he could take the estrogen without having a heart attack and dying. And, or she would um, have him sent to a specialist to paralyze the vagina nerve to his heart so that he would no longer have adrenaline-linked responses because that is um, one of the things that happens with this condition. So they were willing to do heart surgery on our son without ever having him seen a therapist without ever getting a diagnosis from somebody that this was going to help him. There was never a single person in all these specialists that we saw who ever said, Hey, maybe we need to figure out what's going on with your son. Why suddenly he started identifying like this, why he's so depressed. Why is he self-harming? Why are 25% of the children in his grade at school identifying as the wrong gender in fact, when I brought this fact up, I was called, I was suggested to be transphobic. And the child psychiatrist even said, I am so sick and tired of parents coming in citing ROGD. That's not even a thing. I was just floored. I, I, I don't even know how to wrap my head around it. So we've been dealing with this now for about three years. He is not medicalized, even though he's 18. Um, I don't know if he will or he won't, but we told him we absolutely would not support anything that would compromise his health so significantly. He has absolutely made our family life hell. Um, he's, he's been abusive to his sisters. He's been abusive to my husband and I, and we're the ones who are being called abusive because we won't let him do what he wants, which will kill him. So that that's my story. And all I can figure now is, I can't save my son because nobody will help me here in New Mexico save my son. I've got to do it myself, which is why I've joined up with these fantastic other moms and dads. And we're just trying to get the word out about what this is and um, what the consequences are for our kids. So Lydia, thank you for sharing your story. I can't even imagine uh, what this has been like for you and your family and for your son as well. Um, this must be very yeah. painful in so many ways. You mentioned when we were chatting, uh, you, you're in New Mexico. Um, yes. And New Mexico, you just said, is, is worse than California. So a lot of our in listeners some ways. are in some ways. I'm sure that there are people listening right now that can't even believe that because the things that we have wow. heard and seen out of California are absolutely horrible. So give us a little glimpse into New Mexico. I know that New Mexico has, you're a teacher. Um, I know uh, that New Mexico has horribly failing schools. The literacy rates are abysmal. And, and then you say 25% of the kids in your son's grade were identifying uh, as, as a different gender. So obviously, um, there's not a lot of focus on education and reading and writing and math and, and those things. There's obviously a lot of focus on all of this other stuff, right? And so just give us a little glimpse into what's happening in New Mexico right now. Sure. So Back in 2017, there was a conversion therapy bill that was passed. And 
um, when it was advertised and um, put out, it was very clearly about gay conversion therapy. So most people, when they hear gay conversion therapy, they think of some of the horrific practices that were done to gay people back in the 70s and 80s to try to get them straight. And so everyone's like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with torturing gay people. So it got voted in, but it had uh, sexuality and gender in the bill. So that was the first step that I know about is that they passed an anti-conversion therapy bill that had gender in it. Well, since then, um, there have been, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but close to a dozen bills passed. So the result is that at 14 years old, you can change your name without your parents' consent um, and your gender markers. There is a non-binary gender marker available for driver's licenses, which don't require any documentation. You can just mark that when you get your driver's license here at 15. Um, because we are so poor, we have a lot of health clinics that are attached to middle and high schools. Now in New Mexico, at 14 years old, you have the right to keep your health information and mental health information private from your parents. So you can now go to a school health clinic or to your regular doctor, and you have to give par your parents permission to see your health records. You don't have to show them your health records. You're also allowed to access mental health treatment without your parents' knowledge or permission at 14, which sounds great, except for that now it's felt to be illegal to give um, gender exploration besides affirmation. So anti-affirmation, I don't know how legal that part is, but that's a perception with the therapeutic community that they're not allowed to not affirm a child starting at 14 or at all, but at 14, the child can do it without their parents' permission. Um, we are currently in some sectors being referred to as the trans Ellis Island of the United States because Due to our very poor population, you can move here, you can get put on state health insurance for very, with, with, with ease, and the state will cover all of your transition. So on, legally, you're supposed to be able to get your parents' permission for health care before 18, but it's very easy to get around that here. And, um, I can tell you from being a teacher that I have dozens of trans-identified students who are medicalized. They are adults now, but the age of, you know, 18 or over, you can do what you want. Well, here, yes, you do need your parents' permission sort of to get medicalized over 18, but you don't need your parents' permission to be told you are trans before you're 18. And I do know personally of many students who are under 18 with their parents' permission who've been um, medicalized. I have many students who've had full surgeries, and I deal with 17, 18-year-olds. So it's, I, I'm sure there's more. It, it just, it doesn't stop here. Oh, it's legal um, where you have to allow someone to use the bathroom or locker room of their choice based off their self-identification. You're not allowed to discriminate if they use those words there. Um, sports, it's the same thing. So we are completely um, in New Mexico oriented around gender rather than biological sex is 
is the long and short of it. And most people here are completely unaware because, as you said, we're 50th or 51st in the nation for education. For overall child well-being, we're at the bottom of the barrel, 50th or 51st. We have a huge violence problem, a huge drug problem, a huge gang problem. Parents are just trying to survive here. They're not thinking about sending their kid to school and having them come home medicalized. They're thinking about, gosh, I hope my kid goes to school and learns something today without getting attacked. That is a lot to hear. Um, And uh, we will be doing a deeper dive on this podcast on New Mexico, Lydia. We'll connect after this because I think we need to hear more about what's happening in education. For listeners, um, you know when you hear about these school-based health clinics, Kelly Shinkoski has come on before. We've talked about community schools. Please go back and watch that podcast talking about this idea of community schools being pushed by the CDC and the teachers unions. And one of the things they want are these school-based health clinics. And so when you have this, um, when you're lowering a, the age of informed consent, sometimes in places down to 12, and then you're putting clinics into schools where children are, and medical professionals have access to children and, and students uh, and, and do not need their parents' permission uh, for different interventions that may be offered, this is a scary, scary moment. This is a perfect storm that is being created by these people in order to influence children outside of the parents. And Moms for Liberty has been working on this, talking about it, creating more awareness. But I really suggest if someone wants to learn more about community schools, go and find this podcast with Kelly Shinkoski. I'll, I'll link it uh, as well when we post this this podcast with all of you brave moms. Um, Aaron Friday. So Aaron, it has been a pleasure to get to know you over the course of the past few years. You have a daughter. Um, tell us a little bit about your daughter and then some of the advocacy work that you've been doing. You're in California and I, and I don't want, before this podcast ends, we need to talk about how hard California parents are fighting back against a lot of these things that are happening in your state. Uh, well, thank you so much, Tiffany, for hosting us and, and letting me um, barge in on your talk. I know I wasn't scheduled, so I appreciate that. Sim- similar story to everyone else's here. I mean, this is this is the crazy part. There, you don't need to have a, a high degree of education to understand how that uh, trans kids are being quote unquote created. Um, this is not or- organic. Uh, there, nobody is born in the wrong body. No child is born wrong, and nobody takes a nobody is is transgender uh it happens when these kids go to our public schools and even even catholic schools and even private schools my neighborhood sixty thousand dollar a year school sixty thousand dollars a year these kids are being indoctrinated to believe that they're born in the wrong body they can change sex and that they need to medicalize to be their authentic selves so every school pretty much is captured, both uh, red schools and blue schools. No state is untouched by this. You brought up January. Little John in Florida, she lives in a conservative area. They got her daughter, too. It happens in the school when these kids are young. Um, it's happening younger and younger. They are reading to these children at four and five. Um, these cute little cartoon books that look adorable and have great names, UBU and and Teddy, Teddy, you know, the real Teddy or the red crayon. And it teaches children that they could possibly not really be um, the sex that they were born. And that seed is planted early on. It was planted in my daughter's case in seventh grade with sex ed. And when she went through a hard time, COVID alone on the internet, no friends, no school, bored out of her mind, depressed, 
um, that seed grew and she decided that all of her anger, all of her sorrow would disappear if she would just become a boy, which we all know is an impossibility. No one can change sex. Um, you can give a child as much, many drugs as they want and all sorts of uh, surgeries and they are still going to be the sex that they were born. And, uh, and I, I wanted to kind of talk just briefly. I mean, my story's out there pretty far and wide. My daughter did desist after a year and a half. I pulled the phone. I, I pulled her from public school. Uh, I did all sorts of very creative actions to pull my daughter out of the cult. But I wanted to comment on what Lydia said, because uh, it's really important for listeners to hear. When these kids take on a trans identity, not only are they, you know, is that evidence of severe distress about something else. It's as if you compare it to anorexia. So when a girl is anorexic, it's not really she's distressed about uh, being too fat. She's distressed about something else. There's an underlying issue that is, is, is not being addressed, and it gets ignored over and over. Once a kid comes out as transgender, that is the sole focus of the medical community, which is just, it's galling to me, and they should be ashamed of themselves. And I am not forgiving of that group at all because they know better. Medicine should be their North Star. Uh, they know that these kids, uh, that they can't be born wrong. It's nonsensical and it's illogical. But Lydia talked about how her son is really brutally mean. And that doesn't get talked about enough because this is what happens to these kids. They take on this trans identity. Not only are they self-loathing, because that's what a transgender kid is. It's somebody who hates themselves hates their body and everyone else in the world except the good parents are saying, that's right. You are wrong. Everything is wrong with you. You need to be fixed. Imagine what that does to the psyche of that child. They walk around day after day thinking they are wrong. And then you add to it the schools and again, the doctors and the therapists and sometimes those well-meaning friends saying to that child, your parent does not love you because you are not capitulating to their trans identity. So now this child thinks they're wrong and their parents hate them. And by the way, then you have the trans activists saying, everyone wants to kill you. Every, you know, there's the trans day of remembrance. Everyone hates you. You're the most marginalized. You have no rights. This child's psyche has got to be down to the lowest depths. And children show depression by being angry. And they do take on a personality that is unrecognizable to the parents. My daughter was brutal. I mean, hours of I hate you. Cruel language that came out of her mouth that I'd never heard before. These children become very angry and different, and it's so hard on the parents. And I do understand when parents say, I've had enough, just go do it. You know, take, take, take the drugs because it is a brutal, brutal path to, to 
look at your child and, and have to take the hate that they give you. The payoff is amazing because my daughter doesn't go a day without saying that she loves me now. So she's a whole new child. She's back to who I raised and they do come back. They are in there. They are in there and you can see glimpses of them even when they're in their trans identification. But I really want to tell the listeners here that these four moms here, five moms, Tiffany, the power of one human being cannot be underestimated. Everyone can do something to protect children and everyone must. And if everyone who wants to do something does something, I'm telling you, the schools would be back to to educating our kids. They wouldn't be indoctrinating anymore. These laws would be taken off the book if everyone stood up. We have the numbers and we actually have the know-how. It's do something, anything, write a letter, go to your school board. Here in California, because our legislators, both right and left, there's one Republican that has stood up for parental rights, one in our state. Bill is sailing. And we, the parents, are taking it over. You guys aren't making the, the, the laws that are going to help our kids. We're going to write them ourselves. So that's what we did with protectkidsca.com. We wrote a ballot initiative, which will get boys out of, males out of girls' spaces, bathrooms, changing rooms, sports, it will stop schools from socially transitioning our kids behind our backs. Um, and it will stop gender mutilation on uh, kids 18 and under or under 18. The polling on this in the bluest of blue states is 75%. What does that mean? That means if we get this on the ballot, we win. The effect of California coming back to reality cannot be overstated because California is a trans sanctuary state. Kids can run to our state. We never end gender. 22 states now have bans on, on gender interventions on kids. It doesn't matter. Those kids can get to California and can get their healthy breasts removed if they can get here. They can run away. They're being enticed to run away. Gavin Newsom is spending a million dollars and requesting corporations to donate to his million dollar campaign to put more money in it so he can advertise in Florida and Tennessee and Arkansas and have those kids run away to California to get their body parts removed. So it doesn't end until it ends in California. So this petition may be just a, you know, only California voters can vote on it, but anybody can donate to protectkidsca.com. If everyone donated $100, we would have the millions of dollars we need to ensure that we get this on the ballot and then we pass it. And then Lydia, New Mexico will fall. Minnesota will fall. Washington State, Oregon, they will all fall. All the blue states will have to follow what California does. Really, this year should be focused on killing gender ideology where it started, which is my state. So Erin, um, protectkidsca.com, 
people can go there. They can donate. Uh, we can make sure that uh, kids in other states can't go to California to be indoctrinated to, I mean, have a glitter family to do all the things that, that we have heard about in California, this idea of a sanctuary state um, that has been created. And, and you're right, Gavin Newsom is supporting it. And to have a governor and to have the legislators that you have that are pushing all of this and then pushing it all across the country, because as Kelly, our friend says, what happens in California does not stay in California. California is not Vegas. But there's also, as you said, the other side to that, that if we can start changing California, and, and, and we've talked about this about at Moms for Liberty, we're not taking any stars off of the flag. So if we're not going to take any stars off of the flag, we have to start fighting for every state in the in the nation. And um, so I've been really happy and excited to see this uprising of parents and people in California. We have a lot of chapters in California. People are standing up and speaking out. So I think there's a lot of um, hopefulness. Um, we don't have cameras on today for this podcast because these moms are working to protect their kids. They are working to save their kids and protect their kids at the same time. And they're speaking out so that other parents will know what's happening and, and can hopefully protect their children from this toxic ideology that we're seeing. Erin talked about um, the books that are being read in kindergarten or first grade. I was just in Montgomery County schools um, doing a, a town hall in Montgomery County. In Montgomery County schools, they have a pride rainbow storybook collection um, that is talking about gender ideology with children in kindergarten. And parents have asked to be able to opt their children out of that instruction. And they're being told no. And, and that case has gone to court, uh, and, and the judge said that, um, that it was okay, that, that, that there wasn't an issue, that, that the school had the right to teach these things in the classroom, even though the parents are very concerned about it being taught, and that it didn't violate the free religious exercise of the parents uh, for this type of teaching to be happening in the classroom. And what used to, when you used to be able to opt out, and that you used to be able to in Montgomery County, no longer. Um, so that case is being appealed. It, it, there are cases like this happening all over the country. There's a case uh, Ludlow versus Foot in Massachusetts, uh, where the parents, the child, the children were transitioned and at school. And uh, that the, that court said it did not shock the co conscience of the court uh, that the school went behind the backs of the parents. It certainly did shock the conscience of the parents. And, and I think anyone listening right now um, would absolutely agree the audacity again that any person in a school thinks that they have the right to have these conversations with your child without your consent and knowledge is outrageous. And we have to stop it. And Aaron's right; everyone has to do something. So. Everyone has a different journey on this call. Um, Roxana, I'm going to start with you, and then we'll we'll kind of just go one through one more time through all the moms, some advice and help. One thing that you mentioned, um, and I don't want to delve too deeply into your personal life, although this is all very very personal, was that you had um, uh, your your ex husband was supporting the transition, and that has to be incredibly difficult. But I would imagine that you are not the only person that has this happening uh, where one spouse uh, perhaps wants to support and, and maybe one spouse does not. Um, so we'll start with you specifically on that issue. Some advice for moms who may be struggling and dads who may be struggling with their child with gender confusion and then also in interpersonal relationships. 
Right. Uh, I think in the ideal world, you would like to have, you know, your significant other uh, with you on the same side. It's actually, you know, putting aside the, the reaction of my ex, I want to tell parents, never do this alone. You know, you need to have a support network when going through through this. The, the amount of parents that are in the trenches we're so many, you know, I I was able in matter of days, I was able to find our parent support group in California. And I think, you know, that's how, that's what keeps me, kept me sure that I know I'm not going insane, you know, because when you're alone against all the teachers, all the medical practitioners, all the social workers, and everyone is, you know, saying this with, with, with the same voice, or oh, as Erin put it, you know, you need to fix your ch- ch- child, you know, you need to cut their breasts, cut their penises, you know, and then they'll be whole. It's, 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 it's enough for a parent to, to lose their mind, you know, altogether. So don't do it alone. Find a, 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 find a, find a support group. Be smart, you know, like I, I, Pick your fights. With with my ex, you know, I, I went very, very, very careful. You know, I was trading very careful around him, although I was very, very angry and I'll never forgive him. And this is my, you know, weight to bear. But I, I couldn't believe how, how stupid, you know, he behaves and how he would allow his child to be hurt in a... <laughs> for a foolish cause, you know, like this. But anyways, when you're deep into that, don't fight, you know, listen a lot. Keep keep your enemy closer. And then, you know, take one step at a the, at the time. Uh, with, uh, with my daughter, I did very much the same as many other parents. I took the phone away, which was much easier because she was pretty young. You know, she was at, uh, 12 and a half when, uh, when, you know, it all exploded. And it was easier for, for me to negotiate with her. Like, there is no phone. You had a mental crisis. The, the doctor says that social networks are not good for you. Like, I had a lot of leverage and a lot of trust from her to do so. Um, then it's very interesting what uh, what Erin said about uh, self-loathing, because this was the opposite thing that we did with, with my child. Where I'm coming from, we're not very easy on praising children. It's considered bad education, like you, you're spoiling the child. But what we did and my whole family, we actually went into this rounds of praising her beauty, like you're such a beautiful girl. Everything, it would come from, from the heart. You know, it's just not easy for us to say that. But it's very, very important, I think, to start praising kids more. You know, and you need to be very honest because our kids, they they kind of catch up with uh, bullshit, so to speak. Sorry for using this word, you know, on the podcast. But uh, you need to be honest. <laughs> you need to be honest, but you need to find ways on praising the real child and bringing them back from their imaginary world into a, a real world. My daughter was diagnosed with with anxiety and depression and God knows what, you know, because they're very quick in the U.S. to diagnose children too, you know. So I wouldn't say these are fake diagnoses, but they saw her three days. In three days, they wrote her like three pages of mental health issues that I'm not even sure are real. Uh, don't uh, don't agree on, on on medicines very easy. Just research, 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 research. Don't take any advice from medical establishment as a given. 
never. They are not in your team. They are there. Most of them, hopefully, are still good doctors, but many of them have wrong incentives. And uh, we need to understand that. Yep, there's a lot of money right. uh, in this industry, a lot of money to yeah. be made. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, so that was really great advice. Um, Lydia, some advice uh, for, for parents, maybe even from a teacher's perspective. Um, you know, in schools, if, if you feel like your child is, is being exposed to this issue in school and you're concerned about it and you want to speak to the teacher in the school, um, just maybe some advice about that. That would be great. Well, I don't <laughs> I don't know if I have really great advice because we're in the thick of it. Um, I definitely think that you need to talk to your kids about this and not wait until it comes home to your house to have the discussion. You need to be proactive. I view it as inoculation. Um, if you haven't talked about it before because you think, oh, this is a crazy thing that people do in other houses, um, then you're not inoculating your kid. And so part of that is finding out what your kids are being taught at school. Um, I don't have great advice about how to talk to the teachers because I'm surrounded by it and I can't even figure out what to do for myself. But I will say this, I've taken um, a piece of advice that was given to me by someone else, which is I don't lie. Um, maybe I don't always speak up with what I think, but I won't lie. So I won't use fake pronouns for people. I will go through a lot of lengths to not cause a problem, but I will not lie. I will not say things I don't believe. I will not pretend to be okay with things that I'm not okay with. So for me, one of one of my, I guess my piece of advice is, is you need to, parents need to figure out for themselves what their values are. And they really need to understand what those are so that they have a foundation so that they know what not to lie about. And they need to impart that to their kids. Right now, what's happened is that so many of us, and I was guilty of this in a lot of ways too, I'm trusting people that seem to know more than I do. And I, I don't, think that that's the way we can do things anymore because the people who are supposed to know more than we do have been captured into a religious viewpoint that is not reality based. So you need to know what you believe. You need to know what your values are and you need to not lie about it. You need to be honest with your kids about it. You need to inoculate your kids and have honest discussions. And when it comes to the schools, this is a social contagion. It absolutely is. And it's not just the kids who are being infected. The schools, absolutely, the adults in the schools are absolutely being infected with this. So talking to your kids about what they're learning in school, I'll tell you with my youngest, um, she is in elementary school still. It's everywhere there. We talk about it until I can figure out how to get her out of the place we're in. We just have to talk about it all the time. If you have a teacher that you think is going to be open to it, absolutely go talk to him about it. And honestly, I think that parents who don't have a kid who's in this have a lot more power than parents who do have a kid in this because you can go to the school and not be threatened with CPS because your kid is identifying as trans. So if you don't have a kid who's in this, and you want to protect your kid, definitely go to the school and ask and say, you don't have to be confrontational, 
you can say, I'd like to see what you're, what you're teaching or go into the school library and just see where the books are and see what the books are. Ask your kid what they're being read to on, I would say even specific days. So there's banned book day. A lot of the problematic books get trotted out on banned book day. If you have a banned book club in your school, they're well-intentioned, but they're not doing what you think that, well, maybe what we think they're doing, but maybe not what the original purpose was anymore. Um, I would just go in and just ask a lot of questions. You don't have to be confrontational, but you can go gather information to see what the lay of the land is in your school to see how far the contagion is where you are. Thank you for that, Lydia. I think that's excellent advice. Um, Josie, uh, remind us about the book, if you would, please, where people can go ahead and get that book and then also the Substack. Yes, um, the book is called Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans, Tales from the Homefront and the Fight to Save Our Kids. And my Substack is pit.substack.com. And I also wanted to add to something Lydia was saying is that um, parents are the experts of their kids and you have more power than you think you do. Um, when my son desisted and came home, he said what stopped him was he heard my voice. And because I told him over and over about the harms and how I was worried about his health. And he actually heard it, and that prevented him. And even though my son was also horrible, horrible to me, and I never thought he would change, he did come back, and he is his sweet self again. This could happen to any parent. And um, like Lydia gave a lot of advice about talking to your kids and keeping them safe and just going over and over. I thought I tortured my son with this information, but it stopped him. So more conversation about this, uh, more honesty. Erin, uh, remind us again, where can we go to donate and to help with Protect Kids California um, and, and the ballot initiative you have there? Yes. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, go to our website, Protect kidsca.com. You can uh, donate very easily. Anyone can donate from any state. Your money is fungible and will be 100% used to destroying gender ideology at its source. I also encourage people to tweet about it. Um, Even if you can't donate, let's create a Twitter storm and get some of the big donors like Elon Musk looking at what we're doing in California. People think California is a lost cause. It's not. And it has to be our focus. So listeners, I'll leave you with this. You've heard from four moms that love their children so much and want them to have a bright, healthy future. And often I have heard horrible things said about the parents that are fighting back against gender ideology, that we don't love our children or we don't want them to be who they really are. And on top of dealing with a child who is suffering in this way, to have all of America, and and, and actually I'll I'll, I'll correct that, not all of America, a small percentage, but it can feel like a large part of the country labeling you as a a bad parent is incredibly difficult. So to the people that are are pushing this, uh, my message to you is is these are our children. And there is nothing that you can do to stop us from fighting for them. Um, And to the other moms and dads listening, Erin's point about everyone being able to do something, I think, is, is, is the most important part. This issue is affecting every parent, rich, poor, blue state, red state. It doesn't matter. 
um, your child uh, is susceptible to this toxic ideology. And if your child isn't involved, this point of the fact that you can speak out more about this issue is very, very true. As Lydia shared and others, parents are concerned about custody issues. In many states, there are laws in California. There was a, a law that Gavin that passed that Gavin Newsom actually vetoed, but it would have affected custody uh, for parents if they were if they refused to affirm uh, their child's gender, as it said. So um, every pa- parent has the power to get involved on this issue to make a difference, to to make sure that our kids can grow up to be safe and healthy and live full lives. Um, And to you four moms, thank you so much for joining me today, for being brave enough to speak honestly and openly about this issue. And our commitment to you at Moms for Liberty is we stand with you and we will not stop fighting until this madness has stopped. Thank you, listeners. I hope everyone takes the time to listen to this really important podcast. And to you, Josie, thank you for collecting the stories and and thank you for being such a brave advocate and, and, and working with me to make sure this podcast happened. Thank you all.